Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Does God heal people today? You bet He does. If you have somebody who is sick, yes, go to the doctor. Yes, use chemotherapy. Use whatever you have at your disposal. Do that, of course. But the most important thing you can do, having done that already, is to pray. That's what the Word of God says. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. You know, despite remarkable advances in medical science, illness and injury remain constant threats to modern life. Chances are there's someone in your life right now who's struggling with a debilitating condition, and you've pled with God to heal them. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress considers whether God still performs medical miracles. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. When someone pokes fun at us, sometimes it's natural to recoil. There's nothing like some good-natured teasing to make us feel insecure. But what happens when the teasing turns to taunting? Or what happens when the verbal barbs are intended to shake our Christian faith? Well, during the month of June, I'm presenting a teaching series that's never been heard on Pathway to Victory. It's called Unstoppable Power, and it's based on the book of Acts, chapters 1 through 12. And in this new series, I'm giving you an up-close and personal view of first-century Christians. Our brothers and sisters in Christ endured intense persecution from Rome and from the Pharisees, who believed that Jesus was an imposter. But through the resilience of these believers, you and I gain courage and vision and boldness. This study, called Unstoppable Power, is designed to fill you with hope for our times. I've written a brand new book, and it's also called Unstoppable Power. And today, when you give a generous gift toward the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, I'll make sure that you receive a copy right away. Plus, your gift is automatically matched and therefore multiplied by two because of this special arrangement. As we receive your gift and many others, we will build an arsenal to deploy in America and around the world, helping Christians in your own community have the confidence to follow Christ without compromise. I'm going to say more about my book and the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge just after my message. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts chapter 3. I titled today's message, Purpose Driven Healing. In Bible study, there is a principle we call the law of first mention. It's really quite simple. If you're going to understand a topic or a word in the Bible, you ought to look at the first time that word or subject is mentioned in the Bible. That gives you some insight into what it means. For example, when you turn to the book of Genesis, you find a lot of firsts. Uh, the first mention of man, of woman, the first mention of marriage, of sin, of sacrifice, of Satan. It's all found in the book of beginnings, Genesis. In the same way, when you turn to the book of Acts about the birth of the church, you find a lot of first mentions. The first time somebody experienced the baptism with the Holy Spirit. The first time the gift of tongues, that is the gift of other languages, was given you find the first sermon that was ever preached. We looked at it last time. And you also find the first instance of physical healing 
in the newly birthed church. And that's what we're going to look at today. Does God still heal people today like he did in biblical times? If so, why isn't everyone healed? Do certain people possess the gift of healing today like the apostles did? And how should we respond whenever we're confronted with illness in our life or the life of somebody we care about? We're going to answer those questions as we look at Acts chapter 3. Turn there as we talk about what I call purpose-driven healing. Now, today, I want to do three things in the few minutes we have. First of all, I want us to look at an overview of what the Bible, the New Testament, says about healing. It's going to surprise some of you. Secondly, we're going to look at this account in Acts 3 of the first healing. And then finally, I'm going to close with two timeless truths that apply to all of us today. First of all, let's look at what the Bible says about healing. And I'm going to make three statements. I want you to write them down. First statement, the purpose of healing was to affirm the healer's message. The purpose of healing always was to affirm the healer's message. The purpose of healing most every time is never to heal. It's to do something greater than physically heal. It is to affirm the message of salvation the messenger was presenting. Why was that necessary? Just imagine, just imagine that today I stand up before you and I say this. For 2,000 years, Christianity has taught that the way to be forgiven of your sins is to trust in Jesus as your Savior. But I stand before you to declare that God has initiated a new way, a different way for you to be forgiven of your sins. No longer do you need to trust in Jesus Christ. Instead, if you will simply come to the front of this altar, stand on your head and say mumbo jumbo, mumbo jumbo 10 times, you shall be saved. Now, how would you know if I were telling the truth or not? You say, well, pastor, that's easy. All we would do is turn to the New Testament and we would realize you were a nut and would take you off to the insane asylum. That's easy. You would be contradicting what the Bible said. But what if there were no New Testament? What if there were no written authority that told you how to be saved? How could you tell whether I was really preaching the gospel or nonsense to you? In essence, that's what the apostles faced in the early days of the church. Here they were, they were standing before a Jewish audience, and they were saying, for 1,400 years, our Jewish forefathers have said, the way to be in a right relationship with God is to engage in the sacrificial rituals, to keep the festivals in the new days, to observe the dietary restrictions. If you do these things, you will be okay with God, but we're here to tell you that old way of doing things, that old covenant, that old testament, it's null and void. God has initiated a new way of salvation, and that is through faith in Jesus Christ. How would they know? if these apostles were really speaking for God. It was by their ability to perform signs and wonders. There was no New Testament yet. The only way to judge an apostle was by his ability to perform miracles. And that's why 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, the signs of a true apostle 
were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. Hebrews 2.4 says, God also testifying with him both by how? Signs and wonders and by various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. The second thing I would say about healing is healing was limited in scope. When you look at the New Testament, healing was limited. First of all, the number of people who could be healed or who could heal was limited. The number of people who could heal was limited. Healing was not a gift that all Christians had. It wasn't a gift most Christians had. In fact, when you look at the New Testament, the only ones who could heal were the apostles, the 12 apostles, plus one, the 13th apostle, Paul, that we'll look at when we get to uh, Acts chapter 9. It was the apostles and a couple of people closely associated with the apostles. Barnabas and Stephen were two of those. But it was mainly the 12 apostles that have healed. And by the way, there are no apostles today. The apostles are gone. The 12 apostles were the foundation of the church. There are no apostles today. Uh, the only people who could heal were the apostles and these two exceptions. Not only was the number of people who could heal limited, the number of people who were healed was also limited. Not everyone who asked for healing was healed in the New Testament. For example, when Jesus went to Nazareth in Mark chapter 6, his hometown, he didn't heal everyone. As we're going to see, this is amazing this morning, that this lame man that was healed in Acts 3, Jesus actually had an opportunity to heal him years earlier and didn't do so. Not everyone who heals, asked to be healed, is healed. Why? God's purpose is not to heal everybody physically. The purpose of healing was not healing. It was to point to the message of the healer. Let me explain it this way. In the Bible, the gift of healing, the gift of tongues, other miracles are called sign gifts. They are signs. A sign is not the promise of something. A sign points to the fulfillment of a promise. A sign is not the fulfillment of the promise. It points to the fulfillment of the promise. For example, let's say I'm driving down the highway and I'm really getting hungry. It's lunchtime. And to my relief, I see a sign, a billboard that says, McDonald's five miles ahead. And what do I do when I see that sign? Do I pull off the road, go park under the sign and wait for somebody to deliver a Big Mac to me? I'm gonna be waiting there a long time. The sign is not the fulfillment. The sign is pointing to the fulfillment of a promise. And it's the same way with the gift of healing. Healing was not an end unto itself. It pointed to the fulfillment of the promise of God. Thirdly, and this is so important to understand, healing became more rare as the early church progressed. Healing became more rare as the church progressed. Less and less times do you see people healed. Uh, the older the church gets, the more established the doctrines of the church become. For example, in Acts 28, we have the story of Paul and uh, Dr. Luke being shipwrecked and stranded on the island of Malta. Many of us have been there before. And it says they healed a number of people on Malta. And yet a few years later, when Timothy, Paul's pastoral protege, was having stomach problems, that's an occupational hazard of being a pastor, he was having stomach problems, he wanted to be healed. So what did Paul do? Did he heal Timothy? No. 
Did he pray for healing for Timothy? No. Instead, in 1 Timothy 5.23, he recommended to Timothy, no longer drink water exclusively, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. That's how we know Paul was an Episcopalian, not a Baptist, uh, by that piece of advice. Don't send me an email about that, please. No, he said he would have healed Timothy if he could have healed him but he couldn't heal him. In fact, the way I know he couldn't heal him was in 2 Timothy, a few years later, chapter four, verses 19 and 20, notice how Paul closes his letter. He said, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, but Trophimus, that was one of his traveling companions, I left sick at Miletus. He would have loved to have healed Trophimus. Trophimus was a friend, a traveling companion, he couldn't heal him. That's why he didn't heal him. In fact, Paul couldn't even heal himself. He begged the Lord three times, remember 2 Corinthians 12, to remove that thorn in the flesh, that physical ailment, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. What's even more interesting is that outside James chapter 5, which was one of the earliest books written in the New Testament, outside of James 5 that we'll look at in a few moments, there is no instruction about healing in the church. In fact, there's no instance of healing in the church when you get past the book of Acts. Uh, when Paul is writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy, that book is really an instruction manual, an operating manual for how the church is to operate. There is not a word about healing. None of the pastoral epistles mention healing at all. It became more and more rare as the church progressed. Now, with that background, let's look at this healing. And what I want you to notice in Acts 3, it's divided neatly into two parts. First of all, the miracle performed by Peter, the healing miracle, and the message preached by Peter. The miracle was just the setup for the message. Now, let's look at this. Verse 1, chapter 3. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. That was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, the natural question is, why were Peter and John, leaders of the Christian church, going to the Jewish temple? Why were they doing that? Well, some people suggest they were going in order to worship, that the church now had about 3,120 members in it. They needed a place to meet for collective worship. Yes, they went house to house, but that didn't mean they didn't meet collectively as well. And the temple area provided the space for them outside the temple to meet, to pray, to read scripture, to testify, and so forth. So it could have been for collective worship. Second reason might have been for evangelistic purposes. You know, Peter was a master fisherman, and any master fisherman knows if you want to catch fish, you go to where the fish are biting. Reminds me of my favorite story about the woman who's complaining to her best friend one morning over coffee about her husband, John. She said, I don't know, what to, I don't know what to do. John is driving me crazy. Her friend said, well, what is he doing? She said, well, every afternoon when he gets home from work, he runs into the bathroom, puts on his fishing waders, jumps in the bathtub, and starts fishing out of the commode. Her friend said, well, that's horrible. Have you taken him to a psychiatrist? She said, no, I've been too busy cleaning fish. Um, every fisherman knows if you want to catch fish, you better go to where the fish are biting and wherever that is, even if it's in the Jewish temple. 
And so he went to where the unbelievers were in order to preach the gospel. A third answer to why John and Peter went to the temple was a little more complex. It's that there was a transition between Judaism and Christianity that was going on. We like to think that it was a clean break and that immediately everybody said no to the Old Testament, we're going to embrace the New Testament and all of its teachings. But this was a transition time between Judaism and Christianity. There were a lot of questions yet to be answered. For example, should Gentiles non-Jews who accept Christ be made to follow the Jewish rituals or not. They would talk about that in Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem. Or what about this one? What about Jews who are saved? Should they continue to keep the Jewish rituals? Are they free from them? What if they want to keep them anyway after trusting in Christ? All of those things still had to be sorted out. For one of all of those reasons, the fact is Peter and John did go to the temple. Now look at verse 2. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when this beggar saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. You've probably noticed here in Dallas that at prominent intersections in Dallas, people who need money have a place there. And when cars are stopped at a red light, they think that's an opportune time to ask for money. It's always been that way. In biblical times, if you were begging for money, you wanted a piece of prime real estate to do that. And there was no better place than by the gate named Beautiful because that gate was the most direct way into the temple area. And so, just picture this, here are people who are going to the temple to try to make things right with God, and here's a beggar saying, please give me some money. Maybe they think if they throw a few shekels in the basket, they'll gain some brownie points with the Almighty before they come in and go to him. It made them look good, they thought. So the beggars would stay there at the beautiful gate and ask for money. Now, what we find out about this beggar is he had been lame since birth. Acts 4.22 tells us he was more than 40 years of age. Why is that important? Because it means he had been in that space for years. And that means during Jesus' three years of ministry, when he went to the temple, which he did often, when he went to the temple, he would have passed by this lame man. And he would have had the opportunity to heal him. So the question is, why wouldn't Jesus have healed this man long ago? Because it is not God's will for everybody to be physically healed. You know, when I think about that truth, I think about Johnny Erickson Tata. She's a great friend of our church, a great friend of mine. And you know her story. When she was 17 years of age, she was in a diving accident that left her as a quadriplegic. She's been sitting in a wheelchair for 50 years, and yet God hasn't healed her, not yet anyway. And yet, while sitting in that wheelchair, she's done more than most of us who stand on our feet are able to do to lead people to faith in Christ. Through her weakness, her illness, the power of Christ has been displayed. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. God told him, the reason I'm not going to heal you is my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. This man was lame for 40 years, 
But God had another plan in mind. Look at what happened in verses six to eight. Peter answered the beggar and said, I don't possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Does God heal? Yes, God heals sometimes. And he had a purpose in this. But I want you to notice something about true biblical healing. First of all, it was instantaneous. It was instantaneous. Immediately, he got up. His ankles and feet were strengthened, and he began leaping. It was none of this, yeah, I'm starting to feel a little better that you see in these healing services today. Or, yeah, I can see a little more clearly. No, if God heals you, he heals you completely and instantaneously. That's what was going on here. And secondly, I want you to notice that this miracle was performed in the name of Jesus. We'll look at that more next time. But it was by the authority of Jesus Christ that this man was healed. Peter had no power to heal apart from the power of Christ. Peter didn't get to choose who got healed, only Christ did. How did the people react to this <laughs> a miracle? They were amazed indeed. Look at verse nine. All the people saw him walking and praising God and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. Verse 11. While he, the lame man, was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. The crowd was building. They were running toward Peter. And so what did Peter do? Have you ever heard the political axiom that's in Operation Day, never let a good crisis go to waste? Peter had another motto he lived by, never let a good miracle go to waste. This miracle was not an end unto itself. It gave Peter a platform to share the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, there is a famous saying that is attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I don't know whether he actually said it or not, but if he did, it was an idiotic statement to make. You've heard it a million times. Preach the gospel. When necessary, use words. No, if you're going to share the gospel, you have to use words. Peter understood that. It wasn't enough to do a good deed. He had to give the reason behind what he did. And that's what he does when he delivers this message. As long as God gives me breath, I'm going to use words to share the gospel. And I make this solemn promise that Pathway to Victory will remain a trusted source of biblical truth. We will never back away, never retreat from telling the world about Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In making this commitment to you, I am boldly inviting you to join this worthy mission. As God prompts you to stand with us, please follow His lead and get in touch with Pathway to Victory today. It's the perfect time to do so because of the unstoppable power matching challenge. Every dollar that you give between now and July 4th is multiplied by two because of this matching challenge, meaning your gift has twice the impact. Your generous gift of $100 becomes $200. A gift of $600 would become $1,200, and so it goes. 
Whatever amount you choose to give, I'm going to say thanks by providing my brand new book, an exclusive offer from Pathway to Victory. It's called Unstoppable Power, and it's based on the book of Acts in the New Testament. And in my book, I retell the amazing stories recorded in the book of Acts as a means for infusing courage to stand in the gap in our times. This is a book that, when you apply the biblical principles, will make you and your family stronger in Christ. Please don't allow time to slip by without taking advantage of this time-limited opportunity. Double the size of your gift through the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge and receive my book, Unstoppable Power, as well. Along the way, you're empowering Pathway to Victory to pierce the darkness with the light of God's Word. Thanks so much for your generosity. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffress called Unstoppable Power. Call 866-999-2965 or visit our website at ptv.org. Now, when your gift is $75 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power teaching series. Plus, we'll also include a study guide, perfect for Sunday school class or a small group Bible study. Remember, because of the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, your gift today will be doubled in impact by another generous donor. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You can also write to us if you'd like. Here's that mailing address. P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. Again, that's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you back next time for part two of the message, Purpose Driven Healing. That's Thursday, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.